Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Hoopboard Visitor Information and Destination Marketing Podcast. I am your host, Brian Reynolds, and with me today is Satya Shahade, CEO of Hoopboard. Satya, how are you? Doing good, man. How are you? Oh, also good. The weather's getting nice over here. It's getting a lot nicer here in Kansas. A lot of, you know, you know, it's clearing off, getting outside a little bit more, and I'm enjoying myself right now. Now, today we have a great guest, a, a very, uh, we were really excited to talk to this gentleman today. Today, uh, we are talking with Travis Knapper, who is the Director of Tourism within the Arkansas Department, Department of Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism. Napper previously, previously served as president and CEO of the Rustin Lincoln Parish Convention and Visitors Bureau and is the, and the director of the orientation of, uh, at Louisiana Tech University in Rustin, Louisiana, before his move to Arkansas in April, a relatively recent move. So welcome, Travis Napper. Thank you for being here today. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm glad to be here and us too. Great weather here and the pollen has all been knocked down Thank goodness. And uh, the yellow haze has moved on. And uh, we're just now on those late spring showers and uh, some great, beautiful days. Here I agree. I like New Jersey, uh, Philadelphia area. The pollen was crazy last few uh, weeks, but it's definitely kind of reduced last. Uh, this yeah. just I, I should say, say just this week. It's it's been much better now. So yeah. I can't get over really that. Really more than now. I can't get over that background, Travis, that background that is beautiful. Like, it's hard to believe I'm up in Kansas and that's only about four hours, maybe five hour drive from me. I, I know, to, right? I need Look to make my that. way down there more often. When you're ready to make the trip, let me know and I will meet you there. Yeah, yeah you guys are going to face over tourism on that, on the block after this podcast. You're going to be like that, <laughs> that, that uh, thing is going to be uh, people, you're going to have to put barricades around there. No, I'm, I'm well, kidding. That's... <laughs> I don't want to see barricades, but uh, uh, if we make a, if we have over tourism as a problem, that will be uh, a good one to face in the light of what, the kind of <laughs> problems we've been facing with COVID. Exactly, exactly, yeah, exactly. Well, well, you know, and speaking of Arkansas, it's been. I mean, you're talking about kind of uh, over the last year, and I kind of wanted to ease into this a little bit, do a little something a little bit different. Uh, so, Sati okay. and I, when we were researching this episode, we were learning a lot about Arkansas, and that's one of the great things we get to do when we research uh, for an episode is we learn a lot about the state, the area, the people who promote it, the personalities, and the history. And we kind of wanted to start off a little bit lighter here, a little bit, well, not lighter, actually. This is a little bit heavier, <laughs> to be quite honest with you. Uh, it's actually kind of a heavy topic, but I wanted to talk a little bit about this historical uh, piece of information here. It's called, it was a piece on your website. It was called the Sultana versus Titanic. And it was, it talks about a kind of a lesser known kind of uh, well bad event in history. Uh, can you talk a little bit about that, Travis? Do you have any uh, feedback or any information on that? Yeah, I can. Um, and relatively new to the position, but I have since become uh, pretty familiar with this just because of some developments that are happening around it, which is kind of interesting. And most likely many people have probably never heard of the Sultana or the Sultana disaster or any of that. But to this day, it is still remains America's greatest maritime disaster. And this was a... <clears throat> uh, a riverboat heading up, uh, taking Union uh, soldiers after the Civil War that had been um, prisoners of war in the South, to returning them north to their families. So this was uh, one of many boats that did this, but this one was very overcrowded. Uh, it was only supposed to hold about 375 people, including the crew. They ended up with 20 uh, over 2,200 people, oh my basically every possible place available was full of uh, people. A fire and hazard, almost, will, almost all of them were um, th these prisoners of war returning home and, and not in great, you know, health situations and to the point that some were, you know, you know, stacked in, you know, every nook and cranny they could find. Uh, granted, most of them were happily in that position trying to get home <laughs> and into a much better place. Um, but in the middle of the night, a boiler explosion happened. And with that, um, all those people and crew and everything else in the middle of the night 
while the water of the Mississippi River is still very cold at the time, uh, they have they wake up to this explosion. And if they weren't, uh, you know, part of that explosion and instantly passed, they were, you know, in, in, in a true fight for survival at a time when swimming wasn't, you know, such a recreational activity and many didn't know how to swim. And with the cold waters anyway, it wasn't an ideal place to be, even if you knew how to swim and they weren't in the greatest um, shape either. Uh, with all that being said, of those about 2,200, about 1,800 died and about 500 oh or so survived. So uh, quite a disaster. Uh, and this article is a Sultana versus Titanic. Uh, you know, how does that happen? You have something like Titanic that uh, is kind of the whole other end of the spectrum. Quite a tragedy, as we all know. But it, like we said, we all know about it. <laughs> Movies, yeah, yeah. books, mini movie. I mm -hmm. mean, it's uh, this thing of lore. Uh, now, why would why does other disaster not get much, you know, headlines? Even though this is in kind of a similar time period, but this happened um, twelve days uh, before the assassination of Abraham Lincoln. Or no, twenty days after. Excuse after, me. Yeah, yeah, so after. that, as you can imagine, consumed all the media at the time. That was uh, the headline. The assassination, the chase for <laughs> um, the one who shot him. I mean, so and and news wasn't disseminated like it is today. Uh, it wasn't all consuming. So uh, I mean, that's some of the different but differences. But it, it's quite amazing. Just you know, you had this all wood structure that was about a fourth of the size of the Titanic, yet had more people on it. Uh, it was way over capacity, as I said, where the Titanic was actually, they could have fit almost um, 100 more people, I think. Wow. It. So, it, yet, they had great losses, too. Over 1,500 passed uh, from the Titanic. 700 survived, but still, it, it, the Sultana lives as the uh, greatest maritime disaster and then Marion Arkansas which is just outside of West Memphis is just kind of north of it is where uh, one of the bends and bends in the river is where this happened uh, kind of along a string of islands and this was a time where the river was a little more flooded and the levee system wasn't quite what it is now so that area is now dry land to, as we know it but it is it is buried under um, decades and decades of uh, silt and dirt and soil from the river as it moved. Uh, but that area has a small museum and they're in the process of uh, doing a capital campaign to restore an old WPA gym to have a first class museum highlighting this that'll be, um, I mean, it's less than 15 minutes from downtown Memphis. Tennessee. So this will be a great addition into that part of the state. And it'll be right off of uh, I-40, which is a very heavily trafficked interstate going east-west, right off of I-55 that goes north-south. So a great intersection of travel, of travelers crossing uh, across this part of the United States. So we're excited about what that'll mean um, for letting people understand this history. Uh, but also, you know, what it means is giving another great tourism asset in that part of the state that'll benefit, honestly, some of Tennessee and some of us. So. Yeah. Well, what, what, what a story. It's, uh, I have goosebumps all over me, but um, I mean, just imagining yourselves in, um, in the shoes of those soldiers trying to get back home after what was probably the worst years of their lives to begin with. Uh, and it doesn't matter what side of history you were on, war is a war and, you know, being a prisoner of war is being a prisoner of war. Most of us don't want to be there. Most of them, us don't have to go through it. Yep. And the fact that they were on the last leg of that journey um, mm. and um, then couldn't make it uh, it's, it's so tragic. It's so, um, it's so, uh, it's so uh, it's quite interesting yeah i mean to make it through what they <laughs> what they survived through the war and to get that close uh and then go through some that kind of tragedy there to this day i mean this happened in 1865 there's still meetups of 
family of these yeah. people, of the survivors, because the survivors started meeting up very quickly in the years following that. And that's, that has successfully happened uh, up to these days, which is, is quite interesting. And they've done it here in Arkansas. They've done it in Tennessee and Kentucky. They move around kind of this um, south and Midwest area because a lot of them, that's where they're getting back to that Midwest area. But it, it, quite an impact that has impacted generations of those of, of those. Yeah, but I, I mean, it, it talks about so many things here. I mean, of course, one, how deep this is buried in the his, history, because in spite of being such a major event, um, you know, for a variety of reasons where it's just uh, not talked about. Um, he, I mean, I had not heard of it. I talked to once, mm -hmm. you, once I read that article, I talked to a few people and they're like, I, I don't know what Sultana is. And it's amazing. We hear a lot of like much stories, not that they're unimportant, they're stories of much smaller scale and size, right? But they are so much more glorified. And this is something that probably needs to see light of day in terms of historical record and the, and the, and the conversation there. Um, but it also talks a lot from, from this audience's perspective. It also talks a lot about what um, offices like yours can do to kind of, you know, expose and bring um, this history back into light and then, uh, you know, make people aware of it, but also, also create assets, tourism assets for the future. So not only people get to learn about this, but at the same time, um, you know, it, it creates uh, an economical uh, attraction, so to speak. Um, so when is this, uh, since you uh, have this opportunity to plug uh, for whoever might be listening, when is this museum um, or, or is it still in early stages when, when this might go live? You're, you're there, there is a museum, albeit very small at this point, that, it, that will remain up until uh, the new one is open. Uh, they're, in the, they're about halfway to their fundraising goal to... Um, but they just kind of announced it uh, just a month ago. I was over there for the announcement and the governor was there and uh, he, he dedicated some state money towards it as well. And with that was, you know, right off the bat already put them close to halfway there. They feel very good about uh, where it's going and the design they have laid out is, is first class, which is exciting to give, you know, this story um, the ability to be told so well will be quite interesting and we're excited about that. I mean, there's, there's, I know there's at least two, cause I have two of them. There might be at least a third book about this. There's been, I think a couple kind of mini documentary series. And I know they're actually looking at, a, at, at one now and since those have yeah. become extremely popular through all these streaming services. Uh, there's conversations about that too, to kind of continue to bring oh, that's awesome. this. Yeah, that's good to know that it's the story is being told because it definitely deserves to be told. And I'm glad we got the opportunity to talk about it as well. So uh, so this begs a question for me, just kind of moving on, but uh, but still kind of staying on the the talk about Arkansas. What I mean, if uh, if we were coming down, spending two or three days, uh, you know, what what other places would, you know, would you like to plug, you know, if we were going to do a road trip around Arkansas, what, what other places you would like to plug before we move on to actual topics here? Absolutely. Yeah. I'd love to tell you about it. I mean, from, as you can see from the background, I mean, we are the natural state and we have it in abundance. I mean, so I'm going to start there. And I, I think a yeah. lot of people should look at that, whether, you know, our mountain vistas or clear running streams. I mean, some of the best and I'm not going to say most, but we have a ton and there are new one trails popping up every month or so. Uh, mountain biking trails. I mean, tremendous trails all over the state and then other you know, not just mountain biking, but gravel grinding, which is a little different, as well as, you know, the road cycling. And we have a good bit of that that, you know, works its way all the way from the Delta, which is very flat, very different yeah. than Northwest and, and what you see here. Uh, so you can you can have a variety of different experiences on a bike here, which is 
become extremely popular. We're, you know, home to the first national river, the Buffalo River. This is, it, it's in this area. Um, if you were standing on that bluff, you'd be less than 20 minutes from being able to get in a canoe and uh, do the Buffalo River, which is an amazing uh, experience and beautiful and it can be as challenging or as um, a nice little float as you want depending on the time of year and what part of the river you're getting in. We're also home to the first national park of Hot Springs, Hot Springs National Park, uh, which still have the operational bathhouses of those that run off of those hot springs and even has the only uh, brewery inside a national park there that uses those hot springs to brew the beer nice. uh, so that's wow. a pretty cool deal nice. uh and hot springs has so much going on there with um the downtown area that butts right up against that national park and mountain bike trails hiking trails right up from there tons of history with gangsters and the old baseball spring training and the old mystical healing powers of those waters as well as kind of the recreational side when you get out to the lake and there's two or three other lakes around there. Um, so much to do around that when, I mean, whether you're talking about hiking, floating, fishing, hunting, cycling, golf, ATV riding, hang gliding, and now you know, emerging uh, backcountry aviation is, is something yeah. that we're uh, working with different groups to offer. And we're actually, I can plug this, we're doing a, uh, typically in the spring, we'll do like a road trip giveaway kind of thing. And this year, instead of a road trip, it is a backcountry aviation trip where that you'll be able awesome. to do some backcountry fly-ins, stay with some kind of nice glamping opportunities to, and then experience some of the best and most remote, but yet untouched beauty, natural beauty. With some cycling or fishing, we have great trout fishing, which you wouldn't think, but we, those were introduced. And because we have so many great deep like lakes, we're able to have that cold water year round for those um, to flourish in. Uh, I know I've talked a whole lot about the outdoors, and I know that doesn't fit everybody. But on the urban side, we we can offer a good a good bit there. Yeah, I know a lot of times in tourism, we don't want to say we got something for everybody. When you're but when you're an entire state, a lot of times you can you can you can say that a little bit better. Uh, Bentonville is home uh, to so much of those mountain bike trails and area, but also one of the finest American art museums, uh, Crystal Bridges Museum of American Art is up there and it is fantastic uh, and doesn't stop indoors. You step out and they have so much um, uh, outdoor visual art uh, oh. within the nature. They have a, uh, it's called Northern Lights in the winter time in the fall that is a evening or nighttime walk through lighted artistic experience that uh, involves mist and smoke and lights and it's 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 really cool. I got to go up and do it with my kids this past year, and it was awesome. And then here in Little Rock, I mean, tons of culture, art, history, museums, uh, presidential museum here, uh, historic place uh, like Little Rock Central High School um, is here as well, and tremendous dining that uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for. Since moving here, we have thoroughly enjoyed despite COVID we have hit up as many restaurants as possible uh, and inexpensive family activities we have 52 state parks uh, in our state park system uh, that's one of our sister uh, divisions here and uh, and they're of all different kinds and some have more histories some are your outdoor experiences some are camping some's cabins some lodges they've gotten into the mountain biking game as well and have four different mountain bike uh premier mountain bike trails as well but those are all free completely free to enter which that's not the case in all states that's um, awesome, that's awesome. Uh, we celebrate our, our you know some of our native sons johnny cash and bill clinton and you know what they've contributed to the american culture and to the history uh, and taught you know looking at their boyhood homes as well as the presidential library and the significance of growing up in the Delta and what that meant and how he was influenced by that and musically. And then how he went and was able to influence so many others, Johnny Cash, that is. Correct. Um, so whole lot there. One last thing, this is kind of a neat thing and I've actually yet to do it, but you're talking about kind of those one of a kind, one of, a kind kind of opportunities. 
there's a place, it's in one of our state parks, uh, Crater of Diamond State Park in Murphy, but are not too far from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Uh, you can dig for diamonds there. And oh, wow. you, you get there to you keep go. what you find. Nice. It is the really? only one in the country and possibly the world that you can dig yourself. The average Joe can dig for themselves and keep what they find. And yeah. uh, you see the tourism uh, and numbers spike there anytime there's an announcement of a diamond find. And they, they, um, they average, I think, 30 to 40 found at least every year. Wow. Um, That's now good. Those are varying sizes, but they have found, uh, I mean, the largest diamond found in America was found there. So, um, and not that America's well known for its diamond mining, but that is where, I mean, I, I want to say, 14 carats or something. So, I mean, that's a very good size. That's a good and size. This, the second largest one was found, I think, only three years ago. So, and it was, I think, nine carats or so. Wow. Yeah, so there's, don't there's quote me on those. I might be a little ball, but those are quite large diamonds. Um, uh, so, yeah, that is a neat kind of one-of-a-kind experience that you could have here. So that's that's pretty neat. And and is there like a fee to go in and be able to die, uh, mine that? Is that like a someone controlling? It is. It is. It, it is not. There is a. It's ticketed, especially right now, just to limit how many can be there at a time. Correct. But not for. It's not a pay thing. Now you can rent materials to use to dig, to dig to sift. But you can also bring your own if you have them. But. I, I don't, I don't have my own diamond mining materials, so I'm like, not there. But, <laughs> but I mean, that's just a small rental fee. But other than that, you just get, you just make sure you reserve your ticket ahead of time, basically just reserve your spot, and then you're free to go in. That is, that is pretty neat. I had not heard of that. I had heard of like uh, we, we have obviously heard of gold um, digging mm -hmm. and those kinds of opportunities. But this is very interesting. You're gonna start a diamond rush there now. Yeah, maybe so. Yeah, we're well known for our diamond and our quartz as well. And quartz, yeah. I know, aren't near as valuable, but um, on, on the large scale. But I was I've been reading some articles about we have a guy that around here that has a, a tremendous collection worth lots and lots of money, but he has some of very large ones and unique ones um, that I, I don't know what makes them exactly special, but. Uh, quartz is always growing up visiting my family up here was always the neatest thing uh, to find those and they, they, as a kid they feel really special yeah <laughs> might not help in the pocket but they always uh, feel really cool and uh, it's neat how you can find them sliced through the middle of these huge boulders and stuff so it's really really, really neat thing here and that well that's a good reason for me i keep on saying this i drive make a drive down there it's only four to six hours from anywhere from my yeah. eastern kansas and sounds like you serve probably eastern like texas uh, like it's, it's a pretty short drive from mid uh, middle part of missouri it's like almost a four to six hour drive uh, from louisiana yes that's uh, so really well located yeah. or central located we're uh, uh, primarily drive-in destination. We have a, a huge amount of traffic that comes from Texas and the Dallas area uh, for, you know, the different kind of activities we can offer. That's quite a bit different terrain than what you can find there. And same with Louisiana and Mississippi. I mean, it's just, we, we can offer something that cannot, cannot be found there. Uh, and then, you know, our other touch states provide a, a, a good, a, a very good bit of traffic as well. That's yeah, awesome. it's uh, it's it's pretty. Uh, I look at it and it seems like very diverse, and then also accessible from all these central states. Uh, we we kind of looked at hot springs at some point in time, and I was amazed at how that particular destination is laid out. It's in between mountains, just like these, but then like it's the city is laid out almost like an artery. Um, you know, at the at the bottom bottom of these hills, and you know, I I'm pretty sure there's lots of good things there for anyone who wants to go in and, as a vacation spot. Yeah, um, it is it is a, a really neat place and a place I visited many times growing up. That's awesome. Um, okay, if we want to move on, uh, you know, we covered some history, very interesting history. We covered uh, talked about Arkansas. Now, Travis, we want to switch gears a little bit and talk a little bit about you. And get to know you a little bit more in your background. Um, can you take us through your uh, career journey, and you know, from Louisiana to Arkansas in April? So, just kind of take us through your background and uh, how you uh, how you came to be here. Sure, uh, I grew up in North Louisiana. Uh, went to Louisiana Tech University. It's kind of where all our family has gone. 
I uh, didn't really know what I wanted to do, but I ended up in marketing and like I said, didn't know what I was going to do. And little did I know, it, I, I picked the right major uh, yeah. as I get uh, down the road. Uh, I went to work at the university for a while, did that six years. And um, I didn't know it was really preparing me quite well for, for, for getting into the destination marketing area. I mean, being over orientation, arguably we worked with as uh, with the most different parts of the university as you bring them all together, you bring all the new students together to experience mm -hmm. all the different parts they have. And you're, you're selling the university experience. And I then ended up stumbling into opportunity to lead the DMO there, Experience Ruston. And we represented Ruston, Louisiana and, and Lincoln Parish, just north central Louisiana and home to two universities, Louisiana Tech University and Grambling State University, uh, an HBCU with a tremendous history there. Um, so I kind of, you know, it wasn't a, uh, that big of a jump to, you know, go from selling the university to selling the entire community that included the university. Yeah. Um, and what do you do when you're in these roles? You, you're working with, and you bring apart all parts of the community together. So, uh, so we know about it and they're in tune with, with what we're doing. So we can sell it to the visitors and make them aware of it. So uh, did that for about eight years and uh, wasn't looking to go anywhere. Perfectly happy there. Uh, and got a call uh, about this opportunity. And I had some family ties up here in, in Hot Springs, actually. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, I thought, you know, I think I, I, I jump at a chance of a new yeah. challenge and, uh, yeah, in a place with this kind of beauty and a lot of the assets they have here, uh, I, I like the thought of that. Now, I will also say I agreed to that in February. Yeah. And what happened later in February and March, right. um, yeah. something we didn't know about, which was COVID. Granted, that, yeah. that would yeah. that just a been, perfect, um, perfect timing, right? Perfect <laughs> yes. So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I say my first my first day, my official day was um April 1st, so April Fool's Day, and I kind of said, I guess the joke was on me when it came to COVID. Yes, it absolutely was. On the first. But took about six months to meet my entire staff, and we have only all been back on a regular basis here for a little over a month now, which is, for me, kind of a social person night nice to finally all be back and kind of move the center of gravity away from our couches and our kitchen tables to back to the office which That's is awesome. nice and then That's as soon as we do that then we all shoot off and go to all of our uh different events that we have to go to so yeah. now you have to actually do the work uh, yep. that's, that's that's cool but this is this is amazing story because you literally kind of went from um you know from a university to basically a community and now to an entire state, it's definitely just you have been expanding that um, that circle of influence, which is which is great. Which is uh, I think for anyone um, a great career path to look at as well. Um, you know, in these things. But what is the diff? What are the differences that you find? You kind of mentioned some of the common things that you do. You're bringing people together. Um, and stuff. What are some of the differences that you find across these three levels of jobs? And and it's kind of the same job in some ways, but it's different, I'm sure, right? Um, it is. Uh, I, I mean, one difference is the amount of um, um, the amount of money involved has been budget-wise has just been different. The resources we have to go. Um, and used to do that, all those all, all, all the parts of those jobs have, have have grown in each situation, which has been neat and fun. And with the, especially with the new technologies that are coming out, I mean, it, it, it offers the ability to actually not just see them. They man, I wish I could do that. And now, I, now I can. Where you have to be a little more, um, yeah. Well, sometimes you just as much as you want to do it, you just don't have the dollars to do it, unfortunately. Yeah. Until yeah. until it until it's become more streamlined and, and, and becomes more reasonable. You can't always be on the front early adopter stage when you don't have quite the funds. Uh, 
So that is a difference. Um, size of staff has, has grown uh, at the university. Uh, I did actually have a decent size staff, but it wasn't full-time. It was student worker, um, student right. leaders that I had, but that was about 20. Uh, but they weren't full-time with you all the time. And then in Ruston, we had anywhere, we fluctuated between three and five on staff. And now here, 20 right here in the in central office. And then I have another... 50 to 60 in our welcome centers across the state. So that that is definitely an area that I've, you know, I'm, I'm having to grow in and, and learn and more people, more personalities. And, um, but at the same time, more people, more skill sets that you can utilize for yeah. and, uh, and all, all, all the different things we're trying to do. Yeah, that's awesome. That's awesome. And uh, how, I mean, the, the seems like, and Brian, a, this, this might have been one of our thought questions anyways, but this seems like there's a lot of opportunities where, especially at a city or a, or a particular destination and a state level, there must have been a lot of, or there must be a lot of ways to work together. Uh, but I imagine a lot of these uh, relationships are very um, kind of nebulous. They are handshake driven. I'm sure there's we saw like you were doing some grants and stuff and these are direct, but um, I guess let me ask the question differently. If I was at a city level tourism uh, or a, a DMO, how do I make the most out of my relationship with the state level, right? Like what should they, we be doing? And, and you have worked on both sides now and granted this one, you're just kind of um, getting into it, uh, getting started here. But uh, what, what are your thoughts on that? having been on both sides? Well, um, having been on both sides and seen, seen it from both sides and experienced it and seen kind of how it's worked in two different states, it's kind of uh, neat as well. Uh, yeah. Communication just is first and foremost, and that is a, uh, I, I look at that completely as, you know, that's a, that's a two-way street. I mean, yeah. Yes, as a city, you want to know what the state's strategies are and what their plans are and their opportunities that you can be a part of that. Um, but they, I mean, those cities and those communities and DMOs, they offer the state that is only in one place and is marketing so, so you know, so much area. They provide that local insight that we can't always get on the daily basis. They, they, uh, they understand that. Uh, so I, I see communication just uh, number one. I mean, and that is, you know, built on relationships that that, that right. uh, got us all, hopefully at least. Uh, I mean, in working with the group as a whole, and, and that's one. That's the beauty I've seen, um, and, and kind of a difference from when I was at the university. And you know, we, we would we would participate in conferences and stuff with other, you know, educational things with other people doing recruitment and orientation and stuff. And for me as a competitive person, and I saw that there it was, it was still, I mean, there was people sharing information, but it was still much more guarded because if you came to my university, you probably weren't going to the other one. I mean, some people are going to transfer. And now if you play college sports, maybe you do that a whole lot more if y'all follow college sports, but the average person, isn't transferring a ton. Whereas yeah. in tourism, they can visit me this week and visit you the next week and come back to me and then go to the next one and next yeah. one. So it is so much more welcoming and helpful uh, and cooperative, um, which I appreciated greatly and uh, tried to take advantage of. And I think that first starts, if you're a CDB, is being part of your any regional or especially your state association of cvbs and aacvb here in louisiana lacvb those were key groups that uh were a great connection between the state and those cvbs um where you built those relationships and that trust to have that two-way communication and we know what what you know what goals they're having because I, I constantly say um you know their success when they're having success we're having success and we firmly believe when we're having success they're having success it's at least the way we're funded here uh, i know not all states are funded the same way but we are primarily funded through um, 
a lodging and hospitality tax, like a lot of CVBs and BMOs yeah. are. So, and that's how they are as well here. So, it, it truly, if if someone's staying in a hotel in any of our cities, that's good for them, and it's good for us. And if we drove it, that's good for them and us. And and if they drove it, that's good for them and us. So, the the success is mutual. So, um, don't look at us as enemies or uh as super competition but um yeah it's a team it's a team especially on the state level so and and, you know and i mean we're not a humongous state and with endless resources and even the biggest state their resources can't compete with the 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 real big boys of marketing i mean you can put us all together and our numbers don't compete so we have to collaborate and um, pool resources to to be effective for what we're trying to do and what the communities are doing yeah we we always talk in in our one-on-one conversations we always get that opportunity to talk about hey listen for and you mentioned this a little bit is people are gonna once people are gonna come you want to be able to get make the best use of them because you already spend the money to bring them in uh, whether it's the state or the city that brought them in, it does not matter. They are in your funnel in marketing terms and towards the bottom of the funnel, you want to make sure that you serve them right because they can go anywhere, firstly. Uh, and secondly, uh, if you can bring them back, that's a great thing. But uh, again, competing with other DMOs, especially the ones next to you or the, your state, uh, it's just a folly because you're all increasing your advertising rates. You're all advertising in only so many places uh, and you cannot compete with the big boys to begin with. But at the same time, if you start compete, competing with each other, um, it's just draining your all of your resources collectively and there's only so much to go around. So coming up with strategies that make, that make sure that, hey, you are actually collaborating more than competing is is probably a smart thing to do. Um, so, and, and a lot of the DMOs obviously realize that, but it's something that it's not, I feel like it's not talked about enough. So I'm glad you brought some of these things up um, as well. Um, I don't know, I, I was very curious about how you guys do things, but Brian, I'll, I'll let you jump in uh, with anything else I might have missed out. Uh, well, um, yeah. well, I just kind of wanted to kind of pick up what Travis said there as well. Uh, he mentioned kind of a, a saying that uh, there's a professional golfer I really like who he had a saying I really liked uh, and I'd kind of say it over. His name is Todd Hamilton and he's a British Open winner and uh, he uh, would say success breeds success. Uh, even though he would get, he got really good on like kind of the smaller tours, even overseas, got really good there. Then became a, a, a national champion in PGA. But he got, he grew his confidence uh, kind of playing and being competitive on the, where his market was and where his uh, skill set was and eventually grew. And, and it seems like uh, what we were ta- talking about there was, uh, you know, the budgets and working together and collaborating. And maybe, yeah, we're not, a, it's not a good fit to take on the quote unquote big boys maybe that's not the that's not the competition we're looking for here we're, we're focusing on this over here and you know putting yourself in the right position and uh you know obviously you know it's not going to happen without collaboration or, or it can happen it's just the best result for everyone it's collaboration and like travis said communication which by the way is let me see one of the four pillars of uh your Talk to me about this. I mean, uh, I'm sorry, Satya. Did you want to go into a little bit more about this? No, no. This is sorry, exactly- sorry. Real quick, I was smiling just because I'm thinking of the quote. You know, all tides, all 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 tides, rising raise tides all ships. Raises all boats. And we already talked. Yeah, rising tides. And we already talked about the Sultana and the Titanic. So sorry, <laughs> I couldn't help but smile at that. Yeah, thinking yeah, about yeah. that. No, but uh, <laughs> I'm bringing it back. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up because that's true. That's true for not just the state and the city, but for city level organizations to think of it as uh, even for their businesses and individual attractions, right? You know, the the individual attractions are spending their own marketing dollars, uh, but they are kind of helping the DMO, the local DMO and the state DMO. And on the back end, it's kind of also important to realize that if the DMO is doing a great job, everybody wins. Um, that's where like figuring out how to collaborate and teeing up because uh, Google and all have definitely done it where 
they want you to compete. They, it makes sense for their business model where they, can, they want you to compete against each other so they can raise the advertising rates. It's a bidding system uh, by design. Um, and that's true for Facebook. That's true for Google. That's obviously Instagram's part of Facebook. Um, all these channels are created on the, on the foundation that they're gonna make people compete. Um, and, uh, and whether it's the local attractions putting the advertising dollars, DMOs and our state, if you're spending against each other, everybody is losing and the only people winning are the people um, you know, in the tech industry, which is not, not a bad thing. Uh, you know, we are tech as well, but, but especially these advertising platforms. So I think, I think um, that is something that everyone in this industry, especially coming out of the pandemic has to watch for because um, everyone does have a lot of, uh, in, you know, the, the wallets have to catch up now from the last year or so something yeah. something we need to be aware of. You're absolutely right and that's and, and i think that's why i mean i think this kind of leads into where you were going brian the different pillars right. of kind of the work we do and it's no one thing it's not just our our media and marketing spin and and social i mean that is a large component but it's going to take the communications and the pr efforts which is kind of a whole different thing but definitely fits in the cooperation lane quite well and um, yeah, doesn't always get quite as competitive. Then you, we're also the sales. Now that's where sometimes uh, tourism gets a little more competitive. Uh, but but I, I know those those people always you know play play quite well together too. And there's plenty of examples of cooperation there. And at the state level, we do. Um, I'm very at least here in Arkansas. I'm very impressed with the way that our few key markets that, that, that play in that corporate and convention business um, uh, coexist well with the regular state associations and how they move around only within the state. And then also staking out their area to bring in that regional and, you know, a little bit of that national kind of business that it sometimes flows into, into our state. So uh, I, I'm, that, that's good to see. It's very healthy to see. Because uh, yeah. I've seen it other places where it's like, no, we're the big boy, we're doing it all, and good luck if you can find any scraps. Um, yeah. So it, it's it's very nice to see that cooperative spirit here in in Arkansas. And when you talk so, about, um, so, oh, yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, okay. Um, when I just want to clear this up, I make sure I understand completely here. So when you talk about sales, and we can get and Sati, well, we can move on past this. When you talk about sales, are you talking about like when a DMO or CBB like uh, doing like kind of a bringing in the the traveling kind of business that is like say a convention of some kind, like the EMS convention yeah. or like some sort of big group? That yeah, that, I mean, sales can mean a whole bunch. I mean, for us, the, we're, we're focused on motor coach sales, so sports. You know, which is a huge sports is a huge um, thing uh, I know right now and definitely in this state meetings conventions and then also on the international efforts which right now are you know in this kind of wait for go uh, yeah. laying all the groundwork to 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 get back out there uh, but yeah when when I was talking about sales primarily I was kind of speaking towards that convention and meeting type business. Uh, some in the sports as well. Uh, that's become more and more um, of a competitive area, but the same kind of thing. They have the chance to do. I mean, these youth sports teams, um, you know, yeah. they travel so, three out of four months, three three out of four weekends every month. I mean, there, there's plenty of opportunity to be in many places. Correct, correct. So, in talking about sales, uh, let's just kind of going deeper a little bit in there. Mm. If a, how do you work? And this is specifically for your office with, uh, with uh, cities uh, who might be targeting uh, a, a particular event or a convention. Um, are they coming to you? You are going to these cities and how are you collaborating? Um, and uh, what do you recommend? And I'm sure you communicate directly with uh, your own uh, cities, but um, I'm trying to um, get out of you uh, learnings on you know different communication models, which goes back to how do we how do we collaborate and to bring in events, right? 
Well, I'm going to work up to that point kind of, and a lot of this predates me, but um, here when Motor Coach was a big, a much bigger driver of things, they had what was called the A-team, and it was the group of all the salespeople from all the CDBs and the state that they coordinated and collaborated what shows they wanted to be a part of, who they were bringing here. And with those, obviously, they're going to hit multiple stops. So how are we building itineraries that fit all those? So, and that kind of was good in setting kind of a, a foundation for what other things could look like. Then it kind of emerged with sports. And now we have the Arkansas sports team. So those cities that are a part of, part of their um, marketing efforts or, you know, part of their product is use sports um, or um, sometimes a little bit beyond use sports as well. Um, they meet regularly and we make sure we're on the same page of what we're attending and shows what, uh, what kind of marketing pieces, what kind of publications we want to be in and which ones they're targeting and make sure that we're not duplicating efforts where it doesn't make sense but also duplicating efforts where it does make sense. Uh, and that means if sometimes we might be sharing a booth with the whole team. Sometimes it might be just a couple and we they, they'll be representing the entire state. Sometimes it could be uh, helping them be a sponsor at an event. So with that, they get extra appointments and they get extra exposures at, you know, as an individual destination that none of them could do by themselves. But if the, step, if the state steps forward, we're able to do that and we're able to share uh, leads um, for that too. And if there's certain publications they want to be a part of, we can go in and help, you know, provide a co-op package for that. And they get right. their individual call outs as well as, you know, Hey, uh, Arkansas is a healthy place to do business for you sports. And uh, now I will say, as we move to the meeting convention, that is an area we're still kind of fleshing that out. Uh, it, it, each one of those becomes a little more narrow who we're working with and those relationships because uh, because in some because of COVID there's some, some change of who's there and bringing people back into those roles at Correct. some of these cities and um, we're 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 reintroducing everybody to each other yeah. Uh, yeah. and having, you know, what is their strategy going to look like coming out of this? Cause it's gonna, it's just going to be different. I mean, everyone, it, it's pinup demand for everything, but that necessarily, I mean, I know there is demand oh, yeah. for the end user to want to get back to that, but there's a, seems like there's a whole lot more hesitancy on the Events, upper end yes. of who's actually going to actually come and stick their neck out and go host and, and, and be right. responsible for saying we brought, you know, a thousand people together. So we're, we're, we're working with those partners to, um, you know, make sure we're taking the right steps that put them in the best place. Cause ultimately in that, they have the product that they gotta, they gotta fulfill at the end. Correct. And I think, I think it's a, it's starting to happen. And I think the world uh, as a whole is starting to figure out just last week, I believe, um, there was the Brit Awards in London, which uh, they had, you know, they are obviously at the top level, um, a top level kind of event. They had like 4,000 people coming in. Um, and these, these name brand events are probably going to be the ones who are going to have to take the lead to open mm -hmm. up the entire industry. Because uh, I, I think of South by Southwest here in the US, they were one of the first ones to cancel, which really made the news last year. Um, and they're the, going to be the ones who has to open. But South by South, unfortunately, their timing is in March, typically. And, um, you know, they they had to just push it back. Or I don't know what happened to South by Southwest this year. But I think it's going to be the top ones who are going to have to kind of lead the way and so that the smaller ones feel comfortable to go in. Somebody's going to have to do it for sure. Uh, yeah, I absolutely agree. And in I mean, some little smaller ones will happen, obviously, but they won't get Correct. the attention or provide the validity that it can happen Correct. Um, the same as those. And they provide that credibility that, look, I mean, if they can bring 2,500 or 25,000 people together, then we can definitely bring, you know, 500 exactly. people together here exactly. uh, on a regular basis or 2,500 or whatever it may be for the different yeah. types of events. 
And no, that's uh, that's awesome. Now, to just step back, I, I was reading, uh, we were reading earlier, this was, so your four pillars are, uh, just to kind of list them out, research and development, sales, communications, and welcome centers. Uh, welcome centers are probably the, the easiest to understand. We talk enough about sales. What kind of research and development are you, yeah, are you guys doing and what do you plan to do as now as you take over and, and get this all restarted uh, mm -hmm. over the next few years? And well, what are you looking at? What are you hoping to get out of it? Uh, under that, it, you know, is obviously research, but also under development is our regional tourism associations. We have 12 that we provide um, matching, a, 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 a very generous matching grant program to uh, those regional associations on a yearly basis. And, mm -hmm. and then we also run our, uh, a few other grants through there, some event grants, and also one that I think is a little more unique uh, to Arkansas is we have a feasibility study grant um, mm -hmm. for tourism type attractions to see, uh, which has spurned on some, some good stuff through the years. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if it gets quite enough credit as it should sometimes. And then kind of on the research side, I mean, with some of the new data organization and data visualization tools that are being developed, that is something that we are um, vetting out right now to add to, I, I would like to say, help us have it more available for decision making. We, we've always done a good job, I think here, it looks like, of having the data for reporting sake. And we make, we, and, you know, and where it makes sense, we can make some decisions off of that too. But um, we're looking at those avenues that we can have the data and new stuff is coming available, like in a flood, it seems like now, which is real exciting. Uh, to be able to help our decision-making process for marketing, for communications, right. even for welcome centers and what kind of impacts those have and be able to then communicate that to our different audiences, whether that be our commission or, um, you know, the, the secretary and the governor here or, you know, the industry itself uh, are all, you know, ways we want to be able to use uh, the research that uh, we're, we're, we're trying to target. So. That's that's pretty neat. And you mentioned grants. Um, I imagine uh, these organizations have to apply for these grants with you. Uh, yeah, is that is that with correct, the regional right? tourism associations? And, and this is interesting. And this is actually, um, I think, when we talked about the connection between the state office and the CVB, uh, Arkansas has, has not always been as strong. Uh, in, in that connection, I think actually because of these regional tourism associations that were created back okay. in, I think, the late 60s or early 70s here, kind of predating most of our CVBs. And uh -huh. this was kind of, at that time, probably the, the best way to be doing that, to getting state money to those different areas to market. And, oh, okay. Um, we are... Uh, having discussions with each one of how, how to make sure we're utilizing it best for each different region. Uh, but because they're, they're, they're official, they're already pre-vetted, they're kind of, uh, we, we know who they are, they each get a set, an official set-aside money equal amount every year. Now, they do okay. have to submit, you know, approved uh, uses of it. Uh, okay. The primary use is, is marketing. Uh, which is good, marketing and visitor guides and uh, some event-based stuff and then some administrative uh, as well. Absolutely. So we, we obviously approve all those, but it's a little bit different than a CVB or a festival applying for a, an event grant or a marketing, okay. a marketing okay. grant. And I, I was going to ask, so the two-thirds match. Initially, when you mentioned uh, regional associations, so... Uh, and seems like these grants are old. Uh, let me step back and understand a little bit more. How are these uh, regional associations different from CVBs? Um, can you can you give us a little bit of a background? On well, I, I wish I could say there are different because CVBs are like this and the regional tourism associations are like that. But 
it had to be saying, no, this region is different because it's this, and this okay. region is different because you have a region in central Arkansas that has Little Rock, North Little Rock, and Conway that are three of its biggest drivers, which are full functioning, you know, some of our cool. biggest CVBs. And then you have some parts of regions that might only have one or two very small, maybe not even staffed CVBs in the entire okay. region. And, you know, they're done, they might have a membership within that region that helps bring up their match. Okay. Uh, and there's a mix. Some has good involvement with CVBs, some doesn't because the CVBs, they do their thing. And this is the way for those areas that aren't represented by CVB to get representation. So uh, it's, it, it has evolved into a definitely a not a one size fits all, which is probably a good thing because it's, it's a very a yeah. diverse, um, great diversity between each region. Uh, I do think there's some areas we're trying to to look at each one individually and have those conversations of what what can we be doing to better serve y'all and, and and what are y'all doing to better serve your your region and make sure that we're, we're none of us are stuck you know in a rut that that we're constantly using the new tools and the data that we have available to help them do what they need to do yeah. and thus helping those areas. Mm -hmm. So, and I, I know, um, Brian, I, one more question that popped up in my mind. I know this is something, again, you are filling in newly in this role, but this is budget season for a lot of um, CVBs. Uh, they're right in the thick of it. Uh, and uh, in some ways, you are on the receiving end now of some of these grant, you know, grant proposals or some sort of uh, grant requests. What do you, for anyone putting together um, a, their proposal, what do you like to see? What would you like to see? Um, you know, what is, and seems like this money might go in anyways, but this is a general question, right? Like, uh, how do you want to build your budget? Because uh, there's, I'm sure it's a relevant learning at this point in time, this time of the year, right? Yeah, and it's, it's tough depending on if you're looking like at an event grant um and maybe that's maybe the best way to approach it that's that's more be more typical you would see in different places uh that that kind of festival or event marketing grant that sometimes is much an educational effort as it is uh, a funding effort because um our goal is not to tell the people in that town in that local newspaper yeah, or the local radio station to come to that festival. It's for them to market outside, you know, right. typically, you know, outside maybe 60 miles, whatever, you know, whatever limit someone puts on it uh, and learning how to do that. And that doesn't mean go to the next town and find their newspaper. It doesn't mean don't do that, but uh, how are you looking at the new digital opportunities out there? And that also, I think, puts some onus on us to how can we build, you know, or come up beside them and walk them through um, doing that in, in the most efficient way. Cause uh, it's not something that everyone knows how to do well. And that's when, especially when we get in these regional associations that we have that ongoing relationship, you know, how can we maybe blend some of what we're already doing efforts, marketing, advertising, and social spend all, all the paid areas to yeah. um, pull some of their campaigns to run alongside ours uh, as instead of saying, here it is, y'all, y'all figure out your best plan. We'll hopefully approve it. Like, okay, let's suck a little bit back up and make sure, and it'll, it'll make our reach go further while also giving them some of their own identity uh, in some of our efforts. Correct. Correct. I, I just checked the time. We, we blew through. <laughs> that right I'm so sorry. Uh, uh, but I, 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 Brian, I don't know if you want to just say the more we do it, the, your team gets more of a um, word, the more we record, but um, I, I'll, I'll let you handle it. Uh, I, I do have one question before uh, we have to start talking about, um, you know, our goodbyes. Um, welcome centers is obviously a big thing, but I, I mean, generally everyone knows the visitor centers have been kind of reducing, I mean, this is kind of a global phenomenon, almost reducing traffic 
over time. So what, what is your vision for your welcome centers next, you know, five, 10 years? How, how are that visitor engagement is obviously something that we are passionate about. Uh, what, what are some of the things that you are imagining future will bring or you plan to do immediately in, uh, in the next two, three years? Well, I, I will say um, we have an extremely passionate group of staff members that do that, and they were <laughs> they were born for these these positions. And awesome. COVID was very hard on them because that is that that's where they you know they received as much energy back as they extended to those visitors, and they weren't allowed to do that. And they're so happy to be back out there. And we've actually been looking. And we tracked our first quarter of visitation and not across, well, across, if you put them all together, we beat 2020 numbers for March, which was partially affected, but we beat 2019 numbers. That's awesome. For visitation. Now that wasn't every single center, um, but when you put them all together, that means we have multiple ones that beat 2019 and some didn't but that that also is with and y'all might not have experienced this we had a we had any depending on the welcome center anywhere between four and eight days that we were closed because we had this freak ice snow storm oh yes in february that that can affect visitation quite well so despite that we still Wow. <laughs> have visitation numbers that are approaching or ahead of 2019 numbers, which That's awesome. is incredible. And we have, we have tracked when I started and I looked at it, you know, aside of COVID, just looking back, our, our visitation has not been trailing off in ours. And I don't know if that is, um, they, had, they had invested in the previous five or so years with newer facilities that were quite attractive and, um, uh, the, the restrooms are open, you, you know, uh, yeah. 24-7, but we're open 9 to 5, but that's every day of the year, but four days for holidays. I mean, yeah. every day. So, uh, and, and I guess some of the strategic locations we're at helps with that too. And maybe just the, the reputation they've built for their uh, friendliness, helpfulness. And, and it's it, it's interesting uh, and, and was it's quite impressive. I heard it said by multiple people, you know, you go in and like, what is your, what is the essence of your job? And it, it would make sense. Oh, to help someone, you know, get them where they want to go, make sure we have whatever. But they said, no, our job is to extend their stay. Our job is to make sure that they can experience as absolutely much as possible that expands the, the impact of them being here. And yeah. the impact is yeah. economic for us, but it's it's in memories and experiences for the guest. So it Correct. is mutually beneficial for everyone. And to hear them think that way is, is tremendous for the frontline employees that don't all, you know, sometimes have the reputation of not always being there and getting it. These people get it. And I, um, yeah. we're very blessed to have them as part of our team. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, this, is, this is amazing that you say it this way. And the fact that you guys have managed to, uh, so first off, visitor center workers are also frontline workers, as we have talked about frontline workers through this pandemic, and um, they also did deserve almost same credit. I, unfortunately, most of them didn't get to work that way, uh, the, the way they love. So I think, I think what they do day in and day out is amazing. But the fact that you guys have all your past management and uh, going forward has managed to train them in such a way that they do see the underlying value that they're bringing to the community. Uh, that's critical, either extending the stay or, you know, making it interesting enough that even if people cannot stay, they have, they make a mental note that I'm going to come back here um, six months from now. Right. And that's, that's another head, head in bed uh, as they, as they call it. And they truly have built a reputation where they all could say we have our regulars. I mean, oh, that awesome. every year, every quarter, every time they make that trip, they're stopping there and not just to go to the bathroom, but to have that conversation, to learn about the next new thing they could be a part of or what events are happening during that time. And they have the knowledge to share all that, which is and, tremendous. And that's, that's the holy grail of 
all destination marketing. We, we, I, again, we talked about the bottom of the funnel or I mentioned it earlier. If you can, if you can get the visitor that already was there, come back again, instead of going somewhere else, um, you have one in your visitor information because that's a free visitor. You didn't have to market them this time. They already saw it and they had made a decision to come back. So you saved money on the marketing dollars on the other end and you didn't have to compete on, uh, on the marketing dollars with every other you know, attention because this they already love that destination. And then as they say in the industry, it all begins with a visit. Somebody's coming uh, one time, they might come next year and then they might end up buying a house and investing in the region, right? So Absolutely. Uh, it all begins with a visit, so. All right. Well, I think we exhausted the entire hour. Travis, I know your cutoff is uh, about a few minutes here. So we just want to say thank you for joining us. And to summarize, research and development, sales, communications, and welcome centers, we're going to learn more about that too. That's a lot of, it's a wealth of information and knowledge there. Um, his name is Travis Knapper, and he is the Director of Tourism within the Arkansas Department of Parks, Heritage, and Tourism. You can find him on Twitter, uh, slash Travis Knapper, and he's on LinkedIn as well. I hope you don't mind me, uh, Travis. If you have any links or any social medias that you want to shout out, please go ahead and do that now. Do you have anything you want to share? Or- I mean, Arkansas.com and any of our, our, our social media will be much more productive than going to mine, I'll tell you that. Okay, okay. so DMO, I got it right here. <laughs> I got it right here. Yeah. Uh, Twitter is AR, AR Tourism, like Arkansas AR Tourism, and LinkedIn, Arkansas Tourism there as well. And uh, Instagram is a slash Arkansas. You got the name just Arkansas. Yeah. So that's a good name. Yeah, I think we got and, that for that on Facebook. So, and know. thank you for listening to the Hoopboard Visitor Information and Destination Marketing Podcast. Be sure to subscribe on all major places where we listen to podcasts, Spotify, iTunes. And we're also on YouTube. Please subscribe to us there as well. I am Brian Reynolds. And uh, thank you. And Satya, thank you. Any, any last words? No, that's it. Uh, we look forward to this episode being out there. This is what's exciting. This was good. And one more, one last yes, thank, thank you to Travis. Thank you so much, Travis. You were great. My pleasure. Yeah, we'll-